When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. It's Mike. Another quick questions today. I think I said the other week I'd gone back to my original list when we launched and saw some things we never got to, so I'm getting to those. We'll do a couple topics. First is like a classic question. I feel like this is the title of books and articles that are full of nerdy facts. You know, the kind of stuff that I like. Do fish drink water? You ever have an aquarium? Or do you have one and you look in there and you see those little guys? Or maybe big guys. Maybe you're rich. I don't know. And you think, do they ever get thirsty? You know who knows about this? Ada McVean, science writer, often at McGill University, which also, I mean, McGill is perfect for this. <laughs> you know, I've spent eight years there and I never thought of that. Oh, I'm so disappointed in myself. What a missed opportunity. <laughs> I will never let a pun go by. I was actually inspired to write this because my boss got a book called Do Fish Fart? And then that caused him to question whether or not they drink. I love this already. And the answer to both, actually, is kind of, sort of. This is a some fish drink water and some don't. Saltwater fish, they drink water. Freshwater fish do not. But of course, we want to know why. Basically because of this thing called osmoregularity, which is the idea that our bodies, fish bodies, all bodies really, they don't like really big imbalances in solutes. And solutes are things like salts or sugars, things that are dissolved in water. Yeah, a couple parts to this. Number one, you want the right amount of salt, whether you're a person or whether you're a fish. Because your muscles and your nerves and pretty much your whole body relies on salt to function. Number two, water will naturally try to go, try to flow from low concentrations of dissolved things to high, low to high. And fish, as we know, they're kind of squishy, so that makes it easier for that to happen. Also, they literally live in water. So here's what you need to know. Freshwater fish are saltier than what they swim in because their bodies have salt inside. They are swimming in fresh water. Saltwater fish, they also have salt, but they are not nearly as salty as the ocean because the ocean is really salty. In freshwater fish, you know, the water's trying to constantly get into their body and they don't want that. And for the saltwater fish, the water's trying to constantly get out of their body. Everybody is trying to hold on to what they need. They swim forwards and they kind of keep their mouths open, looking like a silly little fish. And the water comes <laughs> in their mouths. And for the freshwater fish, they direct all that water out through their gills. They don't want it. They'll get all diluted and balloon up and explode, which is not good. Saltwater fish, they'll drink some because they want to add in some water so they don't lose all their water and shrivel up. You got it? Do fish drink water? It depends. Also, if you're a fish person, you're thinking salmon. Hmm, they can do both. Yeah, they can. Adaptations to regulate what their cells are doing, what their kidneys are doing. So way to go, salmon. Fish. A lot more complex than maybe we thought. Also, one more thing. We are using the term drink pretty liberally here. We can't actually know if a fish gets thirsty. You have to kind of define what drinking means. Yeah. I don't know if we can ever really know because thirst is essentially a response from our brain. Parts of like our nervous system are sensing this kind of like imbalance. But it would make sense that they would feel this like urge to, you know, drink water just like they would feel an urge to eat food when they get hungry. 
There you go. One down, one to go. And this one, also kind of a classic, now that I think about it. It's quicksand. Jungle sounds and gurgling. That's the image, right? Quick story. When I was a kid, I was super concerned about this being something I was going to face because I feel like Johnny Quest was always getting stuck at it. And I thought, oh, don't let your guard down. You're going to encounter this. Let me tell you, I have not encountered it. And here's the thing. There's not a lot to quicksand. It's just a mix of water and sand or silt or clay. Whatever those two components are, they're in just the right proportion to make it into what's known as a non-Newtonian fluid. Which is something that changes how much it can flow, depending on how much stress you put on it. That's Maya Wehas, by the way, National Geographic science writer. And quicksand kind of lives in between those two worlds. In most cases, you'll look at it and it looks like it's solid, but you can also kind of jiggle it almost or vibrate um, something like that and it'll become liquid. I don't know if you've ever kind of been to the beach and picked up a handful of sand that's super wet. If you kind of shake it in your hand, it'll ooze out and spread around. But then if you squeeze it really hard, it looks solid all of a sudden. Our common denominator is water, water logs, regular sand. The grains are tightly packed. Only about 30% of that kind of mass are the gaps. Quicksand, because sand isn't perfectly round, it can actually be kind of loosely packed. And that's that's when you get your quicksand. Up to like 70% of that mass is now spaces that are filled with water or air. So if you apply pressure to that, it's going to move on down and then come back around, you know, like a foot going into quicksand? You know, it actually can happen around the world. And it's usually in places where there's like natural springs or water that's kind of rising up through the sediments, like shorelines or beaches, river deltas, that kind of thing. One place that's actually really famous for quicksand is Mont Saint-Michel. And I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. My French is not very good, but this is this big beach in France. It's this huge, very flat, expansive area of sand. And so when the tide goes out, it leaves behind vast areas where you can potentially sink in. And if you search this on Google or YouTube, you can find a bunch of videos of people that kind of are jumping up and down and you see the surface just like undulating in this really weird way that you really wouldn't think the surface of a beach should be moving. You know what else you can see? People up to their knees in this. You know what I haven't heard? That classic cartoon jungle quicksand. Yeah, could happen, but you still need the fundamentals. That aspect of it gets a little bit over, like it, it gets overlooked a little bit because sometimes I think in those they're walking along on perfectly dry land and then all of a sudden, whoop, you yes, like exactly hole, danger, which, right? That that's not quite right. Let's talk about getting out. Can I sink in and can I get out? You can sink in, but your fears as a child aren't entirely. Um, founded. Even if you're struggling, you would only sink up to about your waist. Um, in order to like get your head in, you would have to kind of go head first, which I think would have to be a very purposeful <laughs> entry into this quicksand. So how do you get yourself out? Well, do what the TV shows told us not to do. They said, freeze, don't move, you'll sink lower. Actually, you gotta wiggle shift your weight over to one leg and just start wiggling the other in circles and, and to kind of create a pocket of, of that more liquidy material. And you can start to pull your leg upward. Um, and so once you have one leg out, kneel on the surface, that's a larger surface area for you to kind of push against. And then you can shift your weight and start wiggling the other leg and work it up towards the surface. Basically, you're not going to die unless, of course, you're too slow and the tide comes in. Then you're probably going to die. So act fast. 
Uh, before we're done, did you share my concern? Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it was in all the movies. Indiana Jones, like there's Princess Bride, I'm pretty sure had one. And like, <laughs> what's funny is I, I'm not sure when I stopped thinking about quicksand. Curious if at some point it just was used to the point that the movies and TV and, and comics are just like, OK, we need a new yeah, one. I'm not buying it anymore. So in case you couldn't wiggle out, I went ahead and called in a crane because I care about you. Another one's in the books. Find more from Ada on Twitter, Ada McVean, M-C-V-E-A-N. More from Maya at natgeo.com. FYI, no show next week. Vacation for me, then some stuff for the day job I gotta catch up on. But send me more questions. I've got questions at odyssey.com. Talk in two weeks. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.